Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten and I'm speaking after Manchester United beat West Bromwich Albion 1-0. Was it convincing? No, not at all. But it was the first home league win of the season. The first in seven matches. United's home form has been atrocious. There's no other word for it. And there are lots of different reasons, but nah. It's been nowhere near good enough. And when West Brom were awarded a penalty, I was thinking, oh no, not again. Because West Brom have won or lost only one of the last five matches at Old Trafford. And I asked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer about this on Friday. And those five matches go back to when United last won the league in 2013. Those were the days. And while West Brom have not won any matches so far this season, they've had a few decent performances against Chelsea uh, they were unfortunate not to get anything from their recent game against top of the table Tottenham managed by Jose Mourinho there's another talking point for us and United got the three points moved into the top 10 were we first time this season there's been a consecutive league game following that much more impressive victory against Everton and United are good away from home and still poor at Old Trafford and Oli Gunnar has said the crowds make a difference and I'm sure they do but I'm not convinced that is the only reason. I speak to other people in football, I spoke to Paul Scholes a couple of weeks ago where he said the games are pretty much the same, uh, it's just the noise around them is, is different. That's only his opinion but United's home performances continue to worry and yet then we see Red Bull and Ollie called him Red Bull after telling me off for calling him Red Bull a few weeks ago. He called it then. Uh, RB Leipzig beaten 5-0 and United playing really well. So it seems there's issues here when teams come to Old Trafford and they sit back. But Tottenham didn't sit back. Arsenal didn't sit back. Chelsea didn't really sit back. So, And Crystal Palace decided in the first game that they thought they could catch United cold and they did exactly that. So... It's a, it's a confusing time and it's not just confusing for Manchester United and I'll talk more about this later on with one of our guests. Um, I looked at La Liga table after Barcelona lost yet another game. Barcelona a 10th. This is Barca who sacked their manager in January because he was failing when he was first in the league having won two consecutive league titles in his two full seasons at the club ridiculous decision then ridiculous decision now the players didn't want him to go but this is a Manchester United and not Barcelona podcast but look at the league tables okay Bayern Munich are just winning like they always do and they're going to win the 10th 9th 11th 12th 13th 14th 15th League title but Manchester City are 10th behind United Arsenal are 12th and there's some curious Positions in other leagues as well. I just saw that Inter Milan, who were fancied to push Juventus for the Serie A title this year, at eighth. Most of them clubs were playing European football in August, but by no means all. PSG had a wobble, but have started winning every match. And, of course, Leipzig had started the season really well, so it isn't clear-cut. Uh, Sam Johnson was man of the match against West Brom. Sam's a really nice lad, and bumped into him last year in the Trafford Centre with his girlfriend. Sam's from Preston and uh, his partner's from, from Manchester. And no one recognised him at all. And he's a lovely boy. And he would have loved to have made it at United, but like many goalkeepers before him, 
It's, it's a difficult one. Ben Foster was a talented Premier League class uh, goalkeeper, but David De Gea has been a world-class goalkeeper, even though he no longer really starts for Spain. So, if it's possible, I was pleased that Sam had a decent uh, game and he'll be gutted because he saved that first penalty by jumping forward. He's always been taught to jump forward, and but it broke the rule. So, Bruno Fernandes um, got the penalty. And that's another worry. United don't score from open play at Old Trafford. Haven't done since that Palace game because the goal against Tottenham was another uh, penalty. And that's really worrying as well. I wrote in the latest United We Stand editorial that managers lose their jobs because of home form. David Moyes lost his job after uh, City and Liverpool had both won 3-0 at Old Trafford. Um, Louis van Gaal lost his job after those months of terrible football at Old Trafford. Jose Mourinho lost his job, uh, not just because of this, but that Seville defeat in February 18 was the beginning of a slide because the month before that, everyone was happy when he'd signed a contract extension and then really bad home performances, including against West Brom, followed into the next season. And I remember a pretty significant game against Crystal Palace, Palace again, uh, that was a nil-niller in November 18 and within a month Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was manager and he was winning games at Old Trafford but Old Trafford has become a big problem for Manchester United and there have been a couple of tentative signs that fans are going to be allowed back in and obviously the news of uh, the vaccine is encouraging so I went from thinking we're not going to see fans in until September, October of this year to a few weeks ago thinking we're not going to see fans inside Old Trafford this season but maybe, maybe and I do think it would make a difference but there are other issues which we talk about I'm with James Scowcroft James has got a busy day you're going to go and cover some Premier League football today James? I am Andy I'm going to uh, Bramall Lane which is one of my favourite grounds uh, to do some work for the BBC Sheffield United West Ham so won't be the same obviously with no fans um but like I said, loads of football going on at the moment, isn't it? So, uh, um, yeah, it should, be, it should be an interesting game, actually. Thanks for joining us. We're just going to talk mainly about Manchester United 1, West Bromwich Albion uh, nil. Um, and we've got some questions in from people who listen to this podcast all the time. Um, I'll bow to your greater knowledge as a former Premier League striker and UEFA Pro licence holder. Um, two defensive midfielders against winless West Brom at home. Why, oh, why? asks one um, that's a very good question and it's a question that I'd like answered as well I, I, I don't know I, I think I, my personal view is the midfield is a problem for United at the moment a huge a huge problem If you, the dynamic of the team Andy just sits wrong for me you've got pace and power down the middle up front you've got unbelievable pace in Marcus Rashford Martial's got pace he's got skill he's got ability but you've got a pedestrian midfield that takes too many touches on the ball, moves the ball too slowly, and just kills and stifles attack after attack. If you're going to uh, have a midfield that wants to have five or six touches on the ball, you then need your full-backs to give you that, that width and that pace and um, almost be wingers. They haven't got that. Wan-Bissaka's not that. Wan-Bissaka's the defender. I think Teles can do that, but I think he doesn't probably have the out-and-out ability that a top, top 
uh, attacking fullback would have. But it just it, it just evens the game, and, and and the midfield being pedestrian and and two holding midfield players makes United drop deep and defend deep. It makes the the defence from the attack very very stretched. And you get open games of football like you did against West Brom. And, and West Brom today, the players and the managers will wake up thinking, how on earth have we not got something out of yesterday's game? And, you know, that, and that's... What, what I don't understand with Manchester United is, if you take someone like Marcus Rashford, Marcus Rashford could be your best defender. Why Man United do not press the ball high up? I do not know. If the front three press the ball and then you get your midfield come in, you get your defence up, you'd literally squeeze the life out of teams. But because of this slow pedestrian midfield, I know Von Wax is Liverpool about Bruno Fernandes, but for me, the amount of times he gives the ball away, the amount of times he, he slows the game down, takes too many touches. You know, United, in, if you look at Liverpool, if you look at Liverpool's success in the last 18 months, they've got three players up front that are very quick, very direct, but more importantly, they've got two lads in midfield that are literally just ball winners. Win the ball, and then the second thought is pass forwards. And that is what Manchester United is hugely missing at the moment. Someone in midfield that can just take one touch, and the second touch is, right, I'm going to put that ball into my forwards. I'm going to put the ball in behind. They did it once in the first half yesterday when Martial nearly scored, and it had been a brilliant goal. I think it was uh, Fernandez into Rashford, or maybe the other way around, but it's just one touch passing, forwards direction with it. And uh, Martial was unlucky not to score. It's a good save by Sam Johnson in goal. Sam had a but. great game, and I'll, I'll talk about him uh, a little bit more further on in the podcast when, when you've gone on. Uh. Um, your views on Paul Pogba always interest me. His stock is probably lower now with Manchester United fans than ever, and I, I sense that a lot of United fans wouldn't care if, if he left the club. You've actually always spoken well of him, or at least his talents. Well, he, he's... <laughs> You know, if you look at all these these people that play PlayStation football, and I'm not one of them, and you design your your perfect footballer, you, you almost come up with Paul Pogba in midfield. He, he has every attribute you, you need. I just think he's he doesn't look coached to me, Andy. You know, the way he receives the ball, he's back to goal and takes too many touches and gives unforced errors away. He's so much better than that, and I think he will leave United, and I think he has to leave Manchester United. But if someone gets hold of him. I do believe that you you could get one of the best midfielders in the world out of him, but his head's obviously not there at the moment. Um, he's never got going at Manchester United apart from the odd little glimpse here and there where where he can literally take a game by the scruff of the neck. Can he turn his Manchester United career around? I I, I just don't see it anymore. I, I can't see how he can um, how he can get going. And just too many. If you look at the penalty that West Brom possibly should have had yesterday. You know, we've seen this quite a lot now, haven't we, with midfield struggling to, to sort of recover and, and, and opposition midfield players running past our midfield. You know, we saw it, was it Pogba against Arsenal, gave away a penalty where he gets wrong side, Bruno Fernandes again against Brighton, I think he gave a penalty where he gets possibly should have given a penalty last night. I just think that the midfield at United, is the setup is wrong and I, and I think it's costing the club at the moment. So if you can see that with Pogba, he can clearly see there's an issue there. The coaches know there's an issue there. What what is his solution? If everyone he wants to be playing well, he doesn't want to be in this frame of mind. In mitigation, he has had COVID. He he has had a serious injury with with his ankle this year. Yeah, listen, he's had one or two things, but this hasn't been the last sort of five or six months. It's been ongoing. I, I don't know. I, th- I think you somehow you you have to 
you know, the, the, the best coaches, and I don't know, Ollie, I don't know what kind of coaches or anything, but you have to be one of those mind coaches as well. You, you, it seems to me that maybe he's not as mentally strong as what everybody thinks he is, and he's taken a lot of criticism, probably in, in private, it's probably got to him. And I think you need a, a strong manager that can get hold of him now, work him out, and actually think, you know what, I'm going to be the opposite. I'm going to put my arm around you, and every day I'm going to tell you you're the best midfield player in the world. If you get him in the right frame of mind, in the right position, with high tempo, high energy, steaming forward from midfield, winning second balls, getting in the box, causing havoc. I can't see how you can lose, but getting him 70 yards from goal, receiving his ball with his back to goal, having three or four touches on the ball, then trying to stretch at the last minute because he's just about to give the ball away. Gives the ball away, everybody moans about him. I don't think he's got that, that mental strength to sort of work out his problems and work out Maybe I shouldn't go off to the backboard and receive the ball, you know, like the way I do, and, and be a little bit ponderous on the ball. You know, but for me, he should be an attacking midfield player that, in a final third, is just ruthless. And as soon as United lose the ball, he is the first one to win it back. Just simplify his game, and I think he could have a top player there. So Pogba was out. Could you see why Donny Van der Beek, Van der Beek, might have been a little bit miffed not to start the game, given that? He, in theory, is an attacking midfielder. Well, it, I just don't get Donny van der Beek. I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to be critical. I don't want to, because um, that's obviously a talented player, but I've yet to see what he really brings to, to Manchester United. I'm yet to see, you know, is he, I see him a lot. I see him have some nice touches on the ball, but is, is he a goal threat? I don't see it. Is he good out of possession? I don't really see that. So what actually does he bring to the team? I'm, I'm not. I'm yet to see it, and I think that's, that's obvious. Ollie doesn't see it either. Why does Ollie take so long to change his tactics during a game? Is another question. Um, I, I, I wouldn't think that. I, I think if you look at United, if you take yesterday for example, you know they plugged away and kept going and kept going and. You know, the, the the tactics that they used possibly won him the game really with the personnel that he, that he kept on the football pitch. I, I don't think I think I think if you set a game up and you you have a tactical plan, you don't really want to be changing it. You know, early on and everything. I, I think you need to keep that constant message to players that you know the game plan beforehand is a game plan throughout the game. I this is going to make substitutions and and maybe one or two personnel will change, but. I think when you've got West Brom at home, you, you shouldn't really have to be changing the tactics. Bruno's penalties. Um, well, you know, he's starting to miss penalties, isn't he? He, he gets to where I actually think it's an unfair advantage because it's actually impossible to stay on your line and save his penalty because, you know, he, he actually stops halfway through and then follows through with, with his run-up. If he scores, he scores. Last night gets away with it. You know, is he is his penalty record better than Marcus Rashford's? I don't know. Investing is one of the best ways to grow wealth over the long term. However, high commissions and clunky products from traditional stockbrokers can make it complicated for people to start investing. Meanwhile, trillion-dollar companies get built, but very few people benefit from that wealth creation. Free Trade is on a mission to change that by breaking down these barriers and opening up stock investing to everyone. While other brokers charge up to £12 for every trade, Free Trade doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can invest and keep more of your profits. 
The award-winning investment app is used by over 250,000 people. It is FCA authorised and FSCS protected and lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs and investment trusts all without commissions. Free Trade has been a winner of the British Bank Award two years in a row for the best online trading platform. The intuitive design makes investing simple for any experience level, beginners and experts alike. You can start investing from just £2. Free Trade doesn't offer any speculative products such as spread betting or products with leverage and they don't do day trading. They're all about long-term investing with a transparent pricing model and no hidden fees or inflated spreads. There are different account types. You can sign up for a general investment account, a stocks and shares ISA, or sign up to Free Trade Plus with more advanced order types and a bigger stock universe. There are self-invested personal pensions which will be being launched soon. When you invest, remember your capital is at risk. The value of investments can go up as well as down and you may receive back less than your original investment. Go to freetrade.io forward slash united and if you register and fund your account, you will get a randomly allocated free share worth between £3 and £200, such as Greg's Right Move or Apple. For more information, visit freetrade.io. United fans divided on um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. What's, what's your take on him? The Manchester United's problems aren't with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They're two or three. Look above Ole Solskjaer, mate. That's, that's, that's where the problems are. A sporting director from a footballing perspective no, no, no. or a financial I, I, the, perspective? The sporting director would not make a job of difference at Manchester United. He'd go up and up and up and up, get to the very top, and that's Man United's problems. What, Joel Glazer sat in, in Washington? Yeah, that, Manchester United's problems are 5,000 miles away, Andy. And what, what, how would you see that problem? Just mismanagement of a club. I'll play devil's advocate to you. They've spent a lot of money on players. The managers will say that they've been okay. backed to a point. They're taking a lot of money out. Of course they have too much money out. I'm never going to defend that model of ownership uh, whatsoever, but United have got the second highest wage bill in world football. Surely Andy, Andy the, 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 size, the size of Manchester United, the, 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 they should be home and dry in English football, mate. They, they should almost be like a bar in Munich where it's every year and it, and it almost gets a little bit boring, but they're not. And that comes from the top. It comes from mismanagement. It comes from a, a strategy that doesn't work. Listen, they've got the they've got the highest turnover in the league, so they can buy players. Have they got a strategy with their players? Have they have they developed a youth system in the last ten years where half the team is is full of full of Manchester United youngsters now? Not really. They've got one or two that come through every now and again. Barca. So you, you're, you're saying is Oli is Oli the, the the problem? Yeah. Is David Moyes a problem? Is Louis Van Gaal a problem? Is Jose Mourinho the problem? Is a can't. Can't keep being a manager's fault. He can't be just being unlucky. You picked the wrong manager. Mm. Just put a tweet out saying Barca are tenth, United ninth, City are eleventh, Arsenal twelfth, Inter Milan are eighth. Why is this happening? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I, I think it's. Um, I think at the moment there's obviously a, a lack of money. Uh, COVID has hit the the. The financial power in the summer players, players haven't moved around and, and clubs haven't got as strong as, as what they want unless you've got a, a Russian who's in charge of your football club. I think the the playing demands on the players at the moment, the top, top players that have to play European football and Premier League football and then um, international football is very, very high. They, they don't 
Um, they don't have any sort of change over time, really. So I think that's a, a huge problem for them at the moment. Um, I think it will even itself out. I think in the next couple of months, when all of a sudden it settles it down, I think you'll start to see a um, uh, the table take shape. United, even after this terrible start at home, are two points ahead of where they were at the same point last season. How do you see this season? I think they've got a huge battle to finish in that top four. I think they've got a massive, massive battle to do that. Um, that they have to change one or two things uh, and all of a sudden show a lot, lot more consistency in the game. I've watched United in the past and at times they've struggled against teams at home, but at the moment, you look at last night and if you take the Crystal Palace game at the start of the season where Crystal Palace sit behind the ball and make it really, really difficult, you get a VAR decision, possibly goes against United, you give away a sloppy goal and you miss a few chances and actually you can get a little bit unlucky. I think someone did a statistic the other day that you can, you can 35% of the games, you can actually be the better team but lose in football. But I look at last night and you're playing the poorest team in the league and it's wide open end-to-end football. So that is a huge sea change that Manchester United have got to change. I didn't really see that last year as, as much. I certainly didn't see it after the restart. But at the moment, that's, Manchester United have got to go from A to B to C to even then try and get to, to where they were where they want to be. So if you're saying the, the issue is with the owners, they're going nowhere. So what is the solution? I know Manchester United will be in the same position. Listen, set your diary for this time next year. We'll have the same conversation. I know you've got to go up to Sheffield and you said you'd give us 10 minutes and we've been speaking to you for 40 minutes. So appreciate your time. Have a safe journey and we'll get you properly on the, the podcast uh, soon where me and you All can right. have a, a proper chat after a game. All right, mate. Take it easy. Bye Take mate. care. Okay, plenty of you have sent questions in. Um, maybe some I can answer better than James. I always like having James on the podcast because uh, he offers a slightly different view on things and he's been there. He's played 300 matches as a Premier League striker and he's, he's still actively involved uh, working with top flight professionals. Okay, questions from washay 99 Will we see Igalo in a red shirt again? I don't think so. Maybe at Everton in the League Cup. Maybe if there are injuries. But look at the evidence. He came on in the against Palace for the last 9 or 10 minutes of the match. He started against Luton in the EFL Cup. And he started against Brighton in the EFL Cup. And he was the poorest United player in both of those games. And he had 80 minutes against Luton and 70 minutes against Brighton. So... Given that he's going back to China in January, uh, given also that Edison Cavani has joined the club, I cannot really see him figuring. And it's a shame because around the first lockdown in March, he was coming into form. He was scoring goals in cup matches. He scored that beautiful goal in Lask where Bruno Fernandes set him up and he took a couple of touches and it was, a, it was a fantastic goal. So there was quite a lot of optimism around the Nigerian at the time. But after the, the lockdown, um, he didn't, didn't play well when he had chances. And well, in answer to your question, I'd be very surprised. And it's not like he's building for the future because he only came in 
as a lone player. So that's that one on Igalov. The next question is, why is Martial starting over Cavani from uh, Michael Hill? Uh, Cavani is doing really well in training and I speak to everybody uh, out and inside the club who, who know him and they speak really well of him. Uh, it is hoped that some of the younger players will take even more notice of his experience, the way he trains, than they are doing. And I think when he's come on, he's done well. I thought he did really well at Everton. And he scored. And as Ashley Westwood said in the last podcast, the way that he paused his run several times uh, showed his experience. And I thought that he did well when he came on against uh, West Brom. Uh, with very good movement and the more the front players established front players if you like uh, Martial, Rashford I was going to say Greenwood um, I wouldn't say struggle but don't fire on all cylinders if you want a cliche then the more chance I think Cavani's going to get in there and there's so many games coming up there are games um, weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, right the way through now to next year. There's no international breaks to break it up. Uh, none to lose the Uruguayan back to South America so he can score or get sent off or knock about with Luis Suarez as he gets uh, COVID. And I know he's learning English, so I think that will only help. So I would expect to see a lot more of Cavani, um, maybe even starting against Istanbul Martial getting sent off has done his season no favours and he's obviously not been scoring at the rate of last year not going to pretend he's playing brilliantly either but then nor is, nor is Marcus Rashford and then Mason Greenwood read the piece I wrote about Mason Greenwood for GQ on Friday it's on my Twitter uh, rather than offering opinions such as he needs a bollocking or kick up the arse or whatever. I decided to speak to uh, a doctor who is a specialist in brains, brains development, works with footballers and he's very respected in his field and also a psychiatrist, a leading psychiatrist who's based close to Manchester and works with elite young footballers and I found both of them very very interesting rather than me repeat fully what they're saying it's probably better for you to read the article but let me just tell you what uh, the psychiatrist said so this is Dr Asad Rafi and he talked about uh, the issues which affect elite young sports people and the impact of the changes in their lives, which they have on their lives. Uh, quote, low mood, disillusionment, recklessness, poor focus and inattention, indiscriminate use of prescription drugs, gaming, gambling, phones, they often have two phones, are some of the issues I've experienced while supporting young elite footballers. Additionally, there are pressures of social media, screen time, pressure from fans and managing their brand. There are behavioural issues which they exhibit, which lends itself to promiscuity with sex on tap or excessive spending because they've not received support in how to manage their newly acquired wealth.
these players can be vulnerable and need protecting from potential financial exploitation and therefore need support in navigating the complexities of wealth. There are numerous stakeholders around one family, around an individual, family, friends, agent or agents, intermediaries, the club, who can often have competing interests. The situation is, is often complex. Uh, often we don't find one issue when we gently peel back the layers. I said the psychiatrist, nobody wakes up in the morning and chooses to become dependent on gambling or alcohol or their phones. They are all maladaptive coping mechanisms of a new life that they have yet to come to terms with. We often unravel undiagnosed and untreated mental health conditions. For example, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, depression and burnout. What we need to do is support these young men by effectively understanding their ability to manage stress and help them build psychological resistance. Stress can be productive, but it can also be uh, very negative. In someone like Mason, uh, and this psychiatrist doesn't directly treat Mason, you have someone who has aimed to be an elite footballer throughout his life. This perfectionism approach can become self-defeating because you are constantly striving for more success. The pursuit of more success in whatever guise is problematic because increasing demands inevitably lead to experiencing failure and how we manage that is vital. United can only do so much to help and fulfil their duty of care. A club can create a great atmosphere at the training ground but then there is free time when they leave training. They're bored, they're socially isolated and have difficulties in trusting others. They are solely reliant on a handful of people to support them. There can be a huge amount of social isolation and managing that adjustment can be difficult. How do the public sympathise with the multi-millionaire footballer who's just moved from a council house to living in a mansion in the best part of the city? Some of these young men in these huge houses are effectively like uh, recluses. So I thought that was interesting and I felt really sorry for Mason a week last Friday when rumours horrible rumours were circulating about him on social media which were completely baseless relating to an article in the Daily Mail. I just thought that's just terrific and some people really should know better than to spread those rumours as well. I saw some of the people doing it and that was pretty sad. So to more questions now. Should Transby be a more serious contender to House Maguire? I feel it feels like a lot of the former MUFC pundits are holding their tongues on Maguire. Asks Aidan Boland. Mm, I think uh, Tuanzebe is well. He needs games done. He was brilliant in Paris, but he'd been injury prone. That was the issue with him. Just his injuries. And I think Maguire's had a poor start to the season, but he's been getting better. I thought he had a good week last week. He was, but he was the best player at Everton, and he captained England. He scored for England. And I don't think he was bad against West Brom. Same for Lindelof, who also had a poor start to the season. So, given the huge number of games, I won't be surprised. Um, I was going to say to see Tuanzebe start against Istanbul, but he had a shocker in Turkey, having done so well uh, in Paris in the previous away game. So, that's definitely one um, for the manager. Um, Neil Delaney referred to that GQ article and asked if I could also discuss uh, Greenwood uh, Jeff Eccles 
right. United are a hard watch now. There's little flair and excitement anymore. Uh, I saw many games live when Sexton was manager and they seem exciting now compared to this dross. They seemed exciting. Uh, there are big problems. We need a new manager and lots of dosh. Not sure that Poch is the man either. Sorry. Okay, that's not a question. More, more a point. Uh, uh, Babu Bahia asks, with the number of matches lined up over the next five or six weeks, do you think Van der Beek will be used more frequently? And if United don't perform well and don't get enough points on board, do you think the board will change the manager? Uh, well, if they didn't get any points, I'm sure that the board will change the manager. What's probably going to happen is there's going to get some points, whether that's going to be enough, we'll see. I know there's no appetite for changing the manager in the club because... It will reflect badly on the person who gave him the job, Ed Woodward, and talked about a cultural reboot. United a couple of points ahead of last season, but last season was a terrible start to the season. I'm not going to pretend this has been a good start to this season. Uh, with Van der Beek, I keep going back to what I said at the start of the season when I spoke to people um, involved in the signing, that he wasn't necessarily brought in to be in the starting eleven. He was brought in more because United knew they were going to have loads of matches and I do think he will get games and then he's got the chance to prove that he deserves to be in that starting eleven. I certainly think with Paul Pogba's situation there's a stronger case for him to do that and also at the start of the season I did the big piece for the cover of 442 and I interviewed Mike Phelan within that piece and he said that Van der Beek um, could be like a second striker so seems to have been a reluctance to, reluctant to change that Rashford, Martial, Greenwood, um, if all of them are fit. But I think we may see some changes um, there. Uh, Brian McDonald asked us the same question about Van der Beek. And another one says we may need to change the front line. That's uh, Ahusal. Uh, Barry Button, what has Van Der Beek done to deserve this? So there's a theme here, a lot of people are asking about Van Der Beek. Matt Maloney, who are United unloading Pogba on? I don't know, don't think anyone knows the answer to that. Alex O'Donnell, Andy, what's going on with Van Der Beek? Are they trying to bed him in? Or are they not liking what they see him in training? I think he's training fine. I think a lot of them are training fine. Uh, seemed like a good time yesterday to give the lad a full 90 minutes in place of the ageing matter. Yeah, I think that's a... A fair point. Mata did win the penalty, which led to the goal, though. It must be said. Um, let's see what else we've got. Wendy Grant. Why does Ollie insist on playing Rashford when he's injured? Uh, don't think he is injured. I think he's come back from injury. Um, was he injured in the international week? Hmm. Okay. He won't be the first Manchester United player. Not to go on international duty, would he? Um, Andy, this is um, Andrew C. 34116936. What would it take for you, that's me, uh, to admit that the majority of performances under Ollie have been crap? I think I'm pretty fair. I think I write it as I see it. And um, I criticise and be constructively critical. When need be, I try not to be knee-jerk in my reactions and I try to get lots of um, insight and insightful information. 
and present what I see as uh, our facts uh, from varying uh, sides and if you like my stuff then great and if you don't then <laughs> there's no need for you to, to, to follow what I do. I think a lot of the performances have been poor but there's been some very good performances as well. I think you don't just take it over um, individual matches and I can remember times under Ferguson when there were months and months where the performances were pretty substandard. I think Ollie did well to get United to third last season, uh, get to the three semi-finals, although United were way off winning any of those competitions and there's got to be an improvement this season. Um, I think there's got to be a top four finish. Some people think that's possible. Others like James Scowcroft think that is a huge challenge. I still think it's possible, if I'm honest. And I think a cup win would really help uh, Ollie. Uh, do I have doubts at times? Completely, totally. Especially when we've seen some of these, these home matches. Alex Frendo is the next one. A slightly contrary view to that. So the question is, if Ollie deserved to be sacked, according to some, why don't Pep and Arteta get the same treatment? Uh, I'm not sure whether I'd be writing that about Pep or Arteta anyway, but Manchester United are a bigger club than, than City or Arsenal. And I'm sure within their fan base they've got the same issues. I'd also say that Pep has been far more successful. He's won the, the league with City. He's won lots of cups with City. And his, his stock as a manager is far higher than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has given what he did at uh, Barcelona and then Bayern Munich. But City behind United in the table at the moment. It's a strange, strange uh, year. Uh, next one is Jarleth McCann. What situation or confluence of factors could lead to Woodward and Judged being moved slightly out of the way to allow people who know what they're doing? Or is it that the pre- Covid, there's fuck all money to spend. Uh, the frigging about with Maguire, Bruno and Sancho transfer fees was a strategy. Um, so I think the answer there is that with Maguire's transfer fee, United were prepared to move for him in the summer of 18 and then Jose Mourinho said do not pay more than £50 million for Harry Maguire, indicating that his professional pride would not accept that. Manchester United acted on his orders and then Mourinho then came back months later and said that he needed Maguire. Um, Leicester City had absolutely no intention of selling their best defender so close to the start of the season and didn't do and you know, he came a year later. With Bruno, uh, I think you've got a good point. I don't think the money was there at the start of last season. I know that Ole Gunnar wanted him at the start of last season. And he came in January. Uh, probably because, um, you know, he was so bad. And he did make a difference. Um, Sancho, frigging about with the Sancho transfer fees. I think that was pretty clear cut. United were never going to pay £120 million. And I can understand why, if I'm honest. And I, I and others suspected Dortmund might buckle or decrease their demands, and that didn't happen. So it seems pretty straightforward, uh, that one. And 
going into next summer, there's no way I can see United absolutely smashing their record transfer fee, um, especially while there's no fans in the ground for Jaden Sancho. Maybe that's changed. Maybe fans will come back. Um, Fredgy17, are we selling Pogba? Um, I don't know. Uh, his value is going down, is what I do know. And he's not playing well, so there isn't a massive queue to bring Paul Pogba in. And the club he's most often linked with is Real Madrid, and I follow Madrid quite closely. I don't watch all the games, but I follow what goes on around them quite closely. And they've been buying younger players because they're also making cutbacks financially. Not as bad as Barcelona. I mean, Barcelona, Luis Suarez, Rafinha, uh, even Rakitic. And Arturo Vidal, four of them, three of them world-class players, go for €10 million. Euros. They were desperate to get them off, off their, their wage bill. Uh, that man, Dan85, says, in relation to the likes of City, Arsenal and Barcelona, can you confidently say as a journalist that there's a narrative of sensationalism with United because of the global brand and its ability to sell, well, anything... Or is the criticism valid and justified? Well, it depends where you read the criticism, I suppose. I can only speak for myself. I like to think I'm balanced and justified and valid when it comes. But it's a bigger story, so there's more of everything. There's more praise, there's more criticism. It's just a far, far bigger story because it's Manchester United. And do some outlets and media organisations hook stories on Manchester United? Yeah, they do. They definitely do. Because they know that it'll be well-read. Um, but it's got to be proper. I mean, journalism ultimately has got to be paid for. If you want properly thought out, well-researched um, journalism, then clickbait isn't really the, the answer to that. Although uh, I do see plenty of clickbait stories and I just don't click on them, but plenty of people do. Good luck to you. You, you do have um, a choice. But I think United are far bigger than City and Arsenal. With Barca, Barca's in the Spanish-speaking world is a far, far bigger deal than... Manchester United and I see the same nonsense and there is a lot of nonsense that goes around the club so I don't think that there's um, when people say agendas or narratives not really I don't think the journalists collude together I've got a bias against any club you know I hear people saying the media is biased in favour of Liverpool or I don't get that and I hear people say the Manchester Evening News is biased towards Manchester City or Manchester United well no, I don't buy into that either. Peter, who's a Chelsea fan, writes, I've seen Chelsea in Division 2 become a cup and European team and thanks to Roman league winners. In that time, I've seen Liverpool go from being in the league of their own to mid-table regulars and back again. The same could happen with United. No club has the right to be in the top four. I think that's a fair, fair point. Huge clubs have been relegated including Manchester United, it was a long time ago, but, but it did happen. And Leeds United went down to the, the third division, Blackburn Rovers went down to the third division, Sheffield Wednesday uh, did. I can't see it happening with Manchester United, but is any club too big to go down? Bum, 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 bum. Just so you know that I'm not answering questions here. Right, we appreciate the support of our advertisers, but we had... Contact a few weeks ago from a company called Manscaped and they provide precision engineered tools for your family jewels and some products were sent. Uh, 
which my brother, who is 26, used. And I rang him, Sam, because he goes to match. Plenty of people who know him. I said, Sam, have you heard of this company? And he went, is it Manscaped? I went, yeah, because I'll be honest, I'd not heard of them. He said, they're supposedly shit hot or you can shave and look the business. Now, that's not shaving around your face. That's shaving in the never regions. So Sam has tried this product and not me. I'll take his word for it because he was very happy with it. And I can only think if we got the lads outside the ground to do this read-through. But anyway, uh, Manscaped, and our Sammy's very happy with what he's received, have just launched in the UK. And they've gone years without using the right tools for the job, and I certainly have. But you can be one of the first men in England to experience their life-changing products. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer the Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released their new and improved lawnmower 3.0 in the UK. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And this is a premium product and the battery lasts for up to 90 minutes so you can take longer to shave. And Sam even told me that he shaved in the shower and uh, that fits in with information that I have that it is waterproof it's got one of the coolest features which is an led light which illuminates the grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming and they've also upgraded to a 7000 rpm motor with quiet stroke technology there's a charging stand so you can show off your mower loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by a USB. This is in Sam's bathroom and not in my bathroom, but he's a young lad. He's just moved into a flat in town in Manchester and he's having the time of his life and I'm not at all jealous as a father of two young children. But if you're listening to me speak now and you want to experience it firsthand to get that bush to tush clean you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code united that's you and i td and that's at manscaped.com just check it out that's what i had to do and uh read lines like make your testies the besties so that's get 20% off and free shipping with the code united at manscaped.com that's m-a-n-s-c-a-p-e-d.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com your balls will thank you. Well, mine won't because I've not used it, but my brother certainly has, and he was very happy. And he could have quite easily said to me, it's absolutely shit, but he said, no, they're shit hot, and it looks the business. So if you are a young lady around Manchester and you've come into contact with Sam, then please let me know whether that's true or not. And that is the end, well, coming to the end of this podcast. And we're working on the next United We Stand. It's going to be out in a couple of weeks and the current issue is on sale and we've sent out all the subscription copies we didn't seem to have any issues with the the uk copies going out some of the ones abroad are taking longer there's not a lot we can do about that there's reduced services to various countries around the world there's reduced flights taking postage out so postage is taking a little bit longer for the foreign subscriptions They are getting through, but it's taking up to a month rather than up to a couple of weeks in Australia, for example. And I'll be honest, we had one subscriber in South Africa just say he'd received the summer issue. So that's not great. I just don't want to bullshit you. 
Uh, most people are getting them far, far quicker than that, but there are, have been persistent incidents with various postal services. If you download the mag, then you can download it straight away. We're going to start working on the next one. And we've got games coming up now against Istanbul. Well, I hope it's better than the game in Turkey a couple of weeks ago. And Paris in a couple of weeks at Old Trafford. So they're obviously two very big matches because if United are trying to get in the top four, it's to get into the Champions League. So when you're in the Champions League, you might as well perform. And there's Southampton next weekend away. It's such a shame, and it? It's usually one of the best away. Southampton There's always a really good atmosphere. Then the PSG game. I mean, PSG bought 4,000 to Old Trafford a couple of years ago. They were really, really loud, really boisterous. Probably a bit too boisterous, given uh, where their main ultras were, right behind the disabled section. And I know uh, a few reds in that disabled section were a bit worried at what was going on behind them as the fans were climbing up the mesh fences that were put up and PSG dominated that game. Uh, let's hope that United can get something from the match at Old Trafford. Even a draw would be decent, but a defeat would just undo all the good work in Paris. And then there's West Ham away. But we'll be bringing you regular podcasts with regular guests. Um, if you haven't listened to the Ash Westwood tactical one last week, please do that. That was really good. And until next time, I'll see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>